Thank you for listening. Please hit the subscribe button to be alerted. To I'm the Sherry Lee Myers, the host podcast, of Angel Lady, Angel Lady Movie, Lady Talk. Movie Talk. Today, we will be speaking with Mimi Kennedy, legendary actress, activist, and author. We will be talking about the re-release of her book, Taken to the Stage, The Education of an Actress. And I am so delighted that we will be able to dig more into her book, her life, and her amazing career. But before we start, I'd like to tell you a little bit more about Mimi. Mimi Kennedy has been a bright presence on our TV screens since the 1970s. Her most notable TV roles are Marjorie Armstrong on Mom for eight seasons and Abby O'Neill on the hit 90s television series Dharma and Greg. Among her numerous film projects are Midnight in Paris, directed by Woody Allen, and the hilarious In the Loop, written and directed by Armando Iannucci. I, I knew you a little as an actress, but what I really knew about you is that you are a real stand-up person. Yeah. Who was yeah. there fighting for the vote. I think you we know? changed the course of history. No one will ever know what we were doing here in California, but we uh, did something that nobody else was concentrating on, and that was we restored the paper ballot and we kicked those electronic guys out of the state. I had never heard of these Massachusetts upstarts. And I was a little offended thinking we are the Kennedys. What are you talking about? And then, oh, along came this Massachusetts gang with 10 kids and one of them running for president. Well, God forbid, they were Democrats. Now, my father was a Republican for two reasons. His great, his grandfather, my great grandfather had landed before Ellis Island here in New York City. Um, that was back in 1868. So Lincoln had freed the slaves and the Irish Republican Fenian people yeah. were had little heartstrings on his heart. Mm -hmm. Even though he had to shush shush about it and talked about that in letters because, you know, they were the, the radicals. So I think when he heard there was a Republican Party and he was rich. Uh -huh. He started a factory um, from nothing because he could draw and he had the tools to draw and he was mathematical. Mm -hmm. uh, when when he was a rich man, I'm sure his friends said, well, you're a citizen and now, of course, you'll be a Republican. And he was, but Lincoln had freed the slaves and uh -huh. the Irish Republicans were the good guys. Yeah. So it. It kept on going, and my father's father died when my father was very young, leaving behind three boys and a girl and an Italian-Irish wife who married a prosecutor in Rochester, New York, a DA, mm -hmm. Republican. And he had to run for election, mm -hmm. even as a judge all his life until he uh -huh. retired. So his by now uh, teenage sons were employed and gladly they loved this guy they my father said my mother used to cry every night it was the worst sound i ever heard and then after she met bill love his name was love oh. <laughs> she didn't cry anymore so uh they would go and knock on doors and ask for the vote for bill love so they were republicans for a lot of reasons so i'm a kennedy republican in seventh grade jfk runs against nixon uh -huh. And I have a Nixon button, but my father goes, well, he wasn't my candidate. And he told me a story about Nixon in 52, calling him up and asking him to do something as a lawyer. My father said, we don't do that. And uh -huh. Uh -huh. 
So I was introduced very early to dissension. Mm-hmm. And then the Vietnam War happened while I was in college and there was no turning back. I was a Democrat. We were going to stop the war. We weren't going to let Hubert Humphrey be our candidate. We were going to stop the war with Eugene McCarthy. Yeah. Well, yeah. I just never looked back. I became a peace activist. It has always been the Democratic Party who is interested in this. Let's talk about the cynicism of people Well, I don't know if when you grew up, you heard as much as I did in a droll fashion. You only go around once. Yeah. I am sure you've also heard that thing uh, where people go, it's not what you do that you regret at the end of your life. It's what you haven't done. Mm -hmm. There might be kernel of truth in some of this, but as a motivator, I think it's been a lie. And it's been a dangerous and lethal lie for the earth Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because it's as if this is a stage, you know, I know Shakespeare said it's a life is all stage and it is, it's a useful metaphor, but it's not just a stage for our egos. This is a harmonious place where the energy, the molecules, the matter, the spirit has organized itself in a way that we all mutually recognize and can interact with each other in a coherent way for a while. Mm -hmm. It's not just about a place for us to gobble up everything we can get and go. Father Gregory Boyle, who's a Jesuit working with um, recovering gang members here, talks about what people are carrying, the burdens they're carrying, the pain they're carrying. And he talks about the worst things people do. And he goes, imagine the pain that is so brutal that you had to do that. Now, I am a prosecutor's granddaughter, and I do believe in striving for justice according to the law. It's the only chance we've got for an organized society to some degree. Every society has done it in some fashion. And I like the court of law with the jury rather than the I'm God's priest and I'm going to chop off your head. Mm -hmm. But it is devastating that we are encouraged to think that we only go around once and that nothing happens after we die. It's a license to behave badly and assume nothing will happen to you because of it. Mm -hmm. And um, Mm -hmm. why would one do that? I don't know. You have a blog that you wrote, and I want people to read this blog. And it's on Mimi's website, and it is called Politics, Conscience, Catholicism, Contraception, Trump, and Me. And you really did this great service to us, which is to explain the difference between liberals and progressives. It almost harkens back to something we talked about earlier, whether you think you're going to go around once in this life and you can get away with doing anything or not. I think both the conservative and liberal idea is contained within that limitation. You're either or, and you're going to be that this whole time, and then you're going to end your life and that's it. But you tried to be a liberal or conservative. I said that progressives believe there is a future and that we must progress towards it. Indigenous people say, when you act, think of its impact onto the seventh generation. That's a progressive. 
because there's the future and your job is to progress towards it in this lifetime liberals as i grew up and as they were at the turn of this millennium the turn of this century had been lost something because they were kind of smeared as being libertine sexually libertine because they let anything goes anything goes especially you know sexually doesn't matter and liberal in terms of spending money ah, spend the money spend the money there's no tomorrow who cares when the bill is due and -hmm. conservatives were sort of like well now wait a minute you know we don't want the debt on our children and all this so that was the discussion and progressives just broke through it because the liberals were on the democratic side and we were losing we were losing the argument in the court of public opinion and and we were kind of losing our souls because um Clinton and even Kennedy had gone to the corporations and said, look, we need money just as much as the Republicans do. We got to have some friendly corporations here. And then that money started to determine their policies. And particularly with pharmaceuticals and hospitals, people who were ill, like Tim Carpenter, who started Progressive Democrats of America and had ankylosing spondylitis and needed a lot of intervention, they understood that people who were ill and had no money in America were just dying. It didn't matter to anyone. That was part of the progressive movement. But there was also to me, let's get off this thing about just talking about the talking point of abortion. You know, it sounded like, let me kill my baby. Let me kill my children. No, let me have the children I want to have and surround them with safety and love and nurture. And I need a government that's going to help me do that to some degree. Ignored by the Democrats who went, what the hell? You can't take away the money part of our, you know, we'll never win another election if we don't have this money. And we proved with Bernie, among others, that was six years later, that you could raise money from all the people who believed in your morality We also wanted some morality. And they go, no, no, that's what the Republicans do. They do all the churchy stuff. And we're like, yeah, no, not churchy stuff, just morals, please, you know, caring for each other. No, they wouldn't touch that. They never had that message. And the Republicans ignored us because they wanted progressive for themselves, because Teddy Roosevelt had been the last person who brought the word progressive to the fore. Mm -hmm. At some point, Nancy Pelosi, God lover, listened to the progressives, she had five children and she knows what it is when the other generation starts to bark. Uh-oh, better listen to this. The kids, they're out, they're getting feisty. So she invited Tim Carpenter and some others in to talk to her. And she ended up, it wasn't a very good idea, alas, because the name was terrible, but she had like a contract for America. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. And she called it the progressive promise. It sounds like a margarine promise. Yes. It wasn't here and now. It was a promise. I see. I We'll get there, but, you know, so it wasn't quite what we needed at the time. And then all the, you know, with the election, um, the digital election fraud, I will not get on the steel, you know, I won't talk about election fraud with those people out there now. We have paper bills, but that was the work I'm most proud of. And. I know Tim Carpenter said we're taking the peace movement inside the Democratic Party because the Iraq war. I remember marching. So did you. And think so the whirlwind, you know, so the wind and reap the whirlwind. I pictured these tornadoes that we're getting now in the in the 
you know, heartland. Yes. And, and, and the devastation and the, and the veterans who come back, all they know how is to shoot an AR-15. Mm-hmm. All they know is that if you hate somebody or you're going to try to do something good, you got to kill all the wrong people first. I mean, yeah. all of that insane violence mm-hmm. um, is taught. We don't have a national service where you can teach somebody how to teach. We only have these military things where we can teach them how to kill. Yeah. And that's a problem. We're reaping a whirlwind from that. Yes. And so the peace movement was important. Nonviolence was important. Um, what the black community could teach us about nonviolence was, I think, is saving America. Mm-hmm. You know, John Lewis, I met him and Elijah Cummings, so many of these greats during progressive Democrats of America. Mm-hmm. And that's what started the progressive movement and why it's so vigorous to this day, because it started with emotions and morality and nonviolence. Mm-hmm. And we, we worked our way from um, health care, which Obama was very responsive to. There's no Medicare for all, but there was something, Obamacare. It, it did a lot, the progressive movement, but the biggest thing we did was we got the paper ballot back. And that's why you see things are so close now, because yeah. Democrats can win when right. there's a paper ballot. Well, what, do you, what do you see as your political role? Role, yes. Mm-hmm. I see it to be an advisor. If somebody asks me what I think, and yeah. of course I contribute when I can to what I believe is right. Yeah. But I think the younger generation that we waited for when we organized PDA and looked around and saw a lot of gray hair, mm-hmm. uh, that they were grandparents and they knew that the kids were coming along and they've come along. I yeah. think that's I see my role now yeah. as being in the media and sticking to my morality sticking to my ethics mm-hmm. um including in the stories i tell i've always done that i can't you know i've said to my manager i, I won't be uh killed violently there i won't slash people to death and i don't want some daughter you know killed this mother violently in some script you know tore her up and i said no i no. it was daughter-in-law i said hey, i have a new daughter-in-law i'm not gonna go put myself through the imagination because i imagine my roles yeah. Like I say, I involve my subconscious. Yeah. I don't I don't want to think that. Talk about Matilda. She was a trio with Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton. The three of them were in upstate New York, Matilda near Syracuse, Susan B. Anthony in Rochester. Katie Stanton was in New Jersey, but she would travel. Uh-huh. And they wrote the history of uh, women's rights, mm-hmm. the history of women's suffrage, I think, together. Mm-hmm. And Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony thought Matilda was too radical because Matilda was resisting the religious right of her day. And Susan and Elizabeth didn't want to bother resisting them because they had a lot of women in the movement who were part of it. And by that religious right, I mean, they were out to change the preamble to the Constitution saying, given that uh, Jesus Christ is king yeah. and all rules must start with him we believe and they were doing what we some of what we see now and they were very anti-immigrant by the way immigrant bashing was part of why they wanted to put this all in because they didn't want any other religions they didn't want catholics and they didn't want jews so matilda was not that way she was very inclusive uh she worried about immigrants she talked about immigrant mothers suffering and the children suffering um 
she wrote her own book finally called Woman, Church, and State, mm -hmm. huge compendium of the history of how the Christian church for two millennia have uh, suppressed women and blamed them for bringing sin into the world. We were more culpable than men. Men could be moral and virtuous if it weren't for us bad Jezebels constantly dragging them down. And the only thing that contained a bad woman was marriage, accepting her husband as head and children. Mm -hmm. And by the way, the children were the husbands. If anything happened to the marriage, the husband took the children. The mother had no right to them. She had no rights. We couldn't vote. We couldn't inherit things. We couldn't go to court. Um, and she took this all on. Evidently, Count Tolstoy, Leo Tolstoy, got a copy of the book and said, this book proves a woman can think. <laughs> Thank you, Leo. But it also suggests something about you. But her own movement moved away from her because they said leave the religious thing alone and she went are you kidding it's what is at the core of why we can't have agency and rights because they think we are lesser human beings and more culpable yes and yes. it brings on a terrible immorality um anyway so there was that and then uh i i got to know her because i was writing this novel and i needed a, a seneca word for Lake. So I asked somebody at a now dinner and they went, Oh, you have to talk to Sally Roche Wagner. She knows everything about the Seneca. And I called her and she said, I know who you are. I love Darman Greg. And we began a friendship and she uh, was living in Matilda's old house at the time. It's a long story that I will tell in the second memoir. I, I, I hope you do. But Matilda, uh, well, just one more thing. No, her yeah, daughter, yeah. Four kids, her fourth child, a girl, married L. Frank Baum. Frank Baum wrote The Wizard of Oz and all those Oz books because his mother-in-law overheard him telling the stories to her grandchildren. And she said, Frank, if you don't write those stories down, you're a fool. They should be published. Wow. And he said, that the inclusion and the gender bending, boys becoming girls, you know, girls becoming boys, the, the lie, you know, everybody going to Oz together and finding they had their own inner uh, strength. He admitted that was my mother-in-law's ideas because she had the whole family read Theosophy, which at the time wow. was yeah a very uh, popular. Uh, version of the afterlife and and the purpose of life on earth that ultimately I think it became just as dogmatic as anything else but it, it's fascinating and lovely the exploration they did and she found it very healing I don't know if anyone's noticed but because of fossil fuel chemical interference in our hormones in utero and as we develop those um, distinct sexual differences are becoming less uh, vivid and, you know, they found uh, fish with ovaries and gonads. They found moose with ovaries and gonads. You know, everybody is kind of, things have been interfered with in terms of reproductive capacity. Mm -hmm. So the idea that men and women are only here to reproduce and everything about sex is just to make that happen, it's come to an end. Yeah, yeah. And kids who... Uh, feel that they're trans or bisexual or whatever the words are that we put on it. The human beings who are coming in are not uh, 
not being hormonally directed from within the same way that everybody always has been in the way the Bible says we must be. And this is because of chemical, you know, the ozone layer got eaten. We've had so many things happen and they are telling us I'm both. I've got both. And I think they're going to teach us to nurture and they are going to take care of each other in the next generation. Now, I'm not putting this above anybody else. I don't want to do that. So I rarely speak of this. Mm-hmm. But um, I asked a scientist uh, who had read about in a book, I called her. <laughs> I said, you know, you found the proof of what's making this interference with breast cancer cells grow. And um, it was the plastic in the tubing. Nobody else had ever figured it out, but everything was getting fucked up by the plastic tubing. And I said, "Um, when are you going to talk about the hormonal interference in the human race, you know, so that people will stop punishing these children who are coming to us with great gifts and things to say. And instead we just punish them and go, you're not right. You're Mm -hmm. just wrong and we you've got to be who we say you must be and they're going no we're who we are and she said you know i can talk about the sperm count going down which it is to a degree that she says will make us extinct if we don't stop the fossil fuels but i will not talk about the other thing because i don't want anybody i know to feel that they're abnormal or like a monster and i said it's not that then if we don't, you, you don't have the language. Yeah. It's not about abnormality or monstrousness. It's about the earth giving us a change. Mm-hmm. We're the ones who did it with all this fossil fuel stuff. So the irony is if a Republican Christian nationalist wants men and women only, they can jolly well stop taking money from the fossil fuel companies. But it's very depressing to me to see that what Matilda's talking about, that women can bring nurture and women can bring a specific kind of genius. I think, oh my God, we've got that both inside some of these human beings that are with us now. And they're trying to tell us that. I'm male and female or I'm male body, but I feel like a female. You know, it's not the culture. It's not drag shows. This is really something that's happening. And it's uh, on a spiritual level, we would do well to start um, honoring each other, all of us. The old uh, Grace Slick, feed your head, feed your mind with something that you find beautiful and makes you hopeful. And know that's the truth. That's good. Because what goes in comes out. I'm not a pure, you know, purity is a very bad idea in society because of well, Nazism. But if you long for beauty and you long for the good, put it in your head. Look for things that put that in your head in an inclusive, kind, and generous way. Look, the earth is generous. Generosity, I think, is one of the most important things to be part of now. Generosity. I love that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Sherry, it is so good to talk to you. Mimi Kennedy's memoir, Taken to the Stage, The Education of an Actress, is available in print, ebook, Thank and audio format on Amazon. Please hit you the can subscribe button Instagram to be alerted and to YouTube the next channel. Fascinating Mimi podcast, Kennedy, LA. Angel Lady Movie Talk.
Goodbye.